Well, this morning I'm continuing in my summer sermon series, The Power of One Life. Uh, Each week we're going to be looking at a minor biblical character, someone I can preach on in one Sunday to learn what we can from their lives about what it means to know God. And so if we could move ahead, uh, we're going to be talking this morning about a man named Onesimus. Onesimus is someone we first hear about at the end of Colossians, Paul's letter to the church in Colossae. So if we could read Colossians 4, 7, and 9. Let me read it for you. This is near the end of Paul's letter to the church in Colossae. He says this, Tychicus will tell you all the news about me. He's a dear brother, a faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord. I'm sending him to you for the express purpose that you may know about our circumstances and that he may encourage your hearts. He is coming with Onesimus, our faithful and dear brother who is one of you, and they will tell you everything that is happening here. So when you first read this, going through Colossians, Onesimus doesn't sound like anyone of much import. Sounds like you've got a couple people here who are coming with a letter to read to the church at Colossae, and Onesimus is one of them. But there's more to the story, because as you continue to read at the end of Colossians, you see that Tychicus has brought from Paul uh, three letters. One from the church at Laodicea, which we do not have with us, one to the church in Colossae, which is called Colossians. And then he's also brought a third letter, uh, which we know as Philemon. It's a short letter to a man named Philemon regarding this person named Onesimus. So we're going to read this morning uh, the letter to Philemon, which is one chapter long, 25 verses. And so if we could turn there, I'm going to read this for you. Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, And Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our dear friend and fellow worker, to Aphia, our sister, to Archippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church that meets in your home. Grace grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I always thank my God as I remember you in my prayers because I hear about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints. I pray that you may be active in sharing your faith so that you will have a full understanding of every good thing we have in Christ. Your love has given me great joy and encouragement because you, brother, have refreshed the hearts of the saints. Therefore, although in Christ I could be bold and order you to do what you ought to do, yet I appeal to you on the basis of love. I then, as Paul, an old man and now also a prisoner of Christ Jesus, I appeal to you for my son Onesimus, who became my son while I was in chains. Formerly, he was useless to you, but now he has become useful both to you and to me. I am sending him, who has my very heart, back to you. I would have liked to keep him with me so that he could take your place in helping me while I am in chains for the gospel. But I did not want to do anything without your consent, so that any favor you do will be spontaneous and not forced. Perhaps the reason he was separated from you for a little while was that you might have him back for good. No longer as a slave, but better than a slave as a dear brother. He is very dear to me, but even dearer to you, both as a man and as a brother in the Lord. So if you consider me a partner, welcome him as you would welcome me. If he has done you any wrong or owes you anything, charge it to me. I, Paul, am writing this with my own hand. I will pay it back, not to mention that you owe me your very self. I do wish, brother, that I may have some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ." Confident of your obedience, I write to you, knowing that you will do even more than I ask. And one thing more, prepare a guest room for me, because I hope to be restored to you in answer to your prayers. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends you greetings. And so do Mark, Aristarchus, 
Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. This is God's word. Let me pray before we continue. Father, we pray that you would open our ears to hear and open our hearts to understand this, what it means, how to apply this truth to our lives. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So I'm going to answer, ask and answer three questions as we go through this short letter. First of all, who is Onesimus? Secondly, what does Paul ask of Philemon in this letter? And then thirdly, what are the implications of this letter for us today? So who's Onesimus? What does Paul ask of Philemon regarding Onesimus in this letter? And then thirdly, what are the implications of this letter for us today? So let's begin with the first question. Who is Onesimus? We find out that he was Philemon's runaway slave. In verse 15, it says, Perhaps the reason he was separated from you for a little while was that you might have him back for good, no longer as a slave, but better than a slave as a dear brother. He's very dear to me, but even dearer to you, both as a man and as a brother in the Lord. So it seems that Onesimus was a slave of Philemon who has run away. And somewhere in the course of running away, he has found Paul and has found Christ, more importantly. And now he is serving alongside Paul. And somewhere along the way, it must have come out what his backstory was, which has led us up to this letter. Now, slavery was different in those days. It's very important to understand that, that in the Middle East, slavery was very different than it is today. Uh, In those days, just about everyone had slaves, and many people sold themselves into slavery in order to pay off their debt. It was not the same race-based chattel slavery we're used to when we think about 19th century slavery in America. And so... Slaves were paid. Slaves could buy their freedom. They were not usually slaves for life. And so that's why it didn't make sense for Paul to command the abolishment of slavery because it was an institution that was not the way it is that we think of it today. But slaves were still at the bottom of the social ladder, and a runaway slave could expect to be killed if he were caught. So here is Onesimus, sent back by Paul, standing before the people of Colossae, including his master, Philemon, the one that he has run away from. Would have been astounding to have this happen. Secondly, so the first thing was this. The first is that we learned that Onesimus was, Paul's, uh, was Philemon's runaway slave. The second thing that we learn about Onesimus is that he likely stole from Philemon as he was leaving. Because if you read verse 17, it says, If you consider me a partner, welcome him as you would welcome me. If he has done you any wrong or owes you anything, charge it to me. So Paul assumes that probably Onesimus owes something to Philemon, and Paul says, whatever he owes you, charge it to me. So Onesimus most likely was a runaway slave who probably had stolen from his master Philemon on the way out. And then thirdly, we learn that he became a believer in Jesus, and he's he's been a useful encouragement to Paul. He's become a believer in Jesus, and he's been a useful encouragement to Paul. So again, verse 15 to 16, perhaps the reason that he was separated from you for a little while was that you might have him back for good, no longer as a slave, but better than a slave as a dear brother. He's very dear to me, but even dearer to you, both as a man and as a brother in the Lord. So you understand the scene here. So this runaway slave Onesimus has become a believer. He's met up with Paul. Maybe Paul led him to Christ. We don't know, but he is now serving alongside Paul. And somewhere along the way, Paul learns the backstory of this man, Onesimus. And he finds out that he's a runaway slave. And Paul encourages him to go back to Colossae, to go back 
to his master to submit himself along with this letter. So what does Paul ask of Philemon? That's what he instructs Onesimus to do. But as far as Philemon, he asks Philemon not to kill him, but to welcome him back as a brother in the Lord. Again, verses 15 to 17, he says, He's very dear to me. If you consider me a partner, welcome him as you would welcome me. And if he's done you any wrong or owes you anything, charge it to me. Very clearly, Paul is saying, I don't want you to kill him as a runaway slave. I want you to welcome him back as a brother because he's a believer now. Secondly, he tells him to charge anything that is owed to his account. If you consider me as a partner, welcome him as you would welcome me. If he has done you any wrong or owes you anything, charge it to me. Paul does not want money to be a hindrance between Philemon and Onesimus. And so if there's anything that is owed, he says, charge it to my account. And then thirdly, he asks Philemon to consider giving Onesimus his freedom so that he can work alongside Paul for the gospel. Not just welcome him back, but consider giving him his freedom. Philemon 1, 11 to 14 says, Formerly he was useless to you, but now he has become useful both to you and to me. That word useful there is a play on the word Philemon, which means useful or profitable in the Greek. And so he's playing on the name there. Does he become useful both to you and to me? I'm sending him who is my very heart back to you. I would have liked to keep him with me so that he could take your place in helping me while I am in chains for the gospel. But I did not want to do anything without your consent so that any favor you do will be spontaneous and not forced. Clearly, when you read between the lines of this passage, he is asking Philemon to give Onesimus his freedom. He doesn't want, Paul doesn't be the one, Paul does not want to be the one who keeps Onesimus from Philemon. He wants it to come from Philemon himself. That Onesimus is more than just a slave now. He's a brother. He's useful. And he can do more than just provide manual labor. He's no longer just a slave. Now he is a brother. Think of Galatians 3, 26 to 29, this passage of Paul's where he said, You are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you who are baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. That is an incredible passage, isn't it? where Paul says, in Christ, all those barriers, all the things that have divided us in this world come down. There isn't free up here and slave down here. There isn't male up here and female down here. There is not Jew up here and Greek down here. There is no hierarchy there. You are all one in Christ, he says. The barriers have come down. And so it is not Onesimus up here. I'm sorry, Philemon up here and Onesimus down here anymore. Your brothers in Christ. All of those things out in the culture that have divided you have come down in Christ. I mean, just as an aside, you think about this verse in the context of today's culture, and this is what the church is meant to be like. It's not meant to be where we look out and we divide each other on the basis of gender and ethnicity and all the things that the world does. It says, no, in the church, you are one in Christ. All the things that divide you out in the world come down, and you are one. You are united. It doesn't matter social standing or ethnicity or gender or any of that. You're one in Christ. And so even though Paul does not come out and say abolish slavery, you can see that he is planting the seeds for the abolishment of slavery in the things that he writes. He is telling Philemon, 
do not look at each other as slave and free anymore. You are brothers. And so consider giving him his freedom because he is not just a slave. He is a brother in Christ. You can understand how concepts like this and the biblical concept of the image of God that every human being is created in God's image and that we are to do justice and that we are to love our neighbors as ourselves. All of those were seeds that eventually led Christians to be on the front lines of abolishing slavery because when the culture changed, these things just were clear that what was happening was not in line with God's will. So Paul writes to Philemon, sends Onesimus back, this runaway slave, and asks Philemon, essentially, to consider giving him his freedom so that he might continue to serve alongside Paul. It's as if he's saying, can you not see the Lord's hand in this? Give freedom to this young man. So what are the implications of this passage for us today? Let's go through three things that I see. The first is this. This is going to be a challenging one for some of you. That the road to freedom goes through confession. Again, Paul meets this young man Onesimus. Maybe he leads him to faith in Christ. And somewhere along the way, Onesimus reveals that he is a runaway slave. And Paul now has a conundrum. I've got this young man here who is serving alongside me who I love. But by the laws of our culture, he belongs to another man. He's a slave of Philemon's. What do I do? What do I ask of him? And so he sends Onesimus back. He says, if you want to be completely free in Christ and free, you're going to need to confess first. You're going to have to go back first and be willing to submit yourself to your master once again. That true freedom is not going to be found looking over your shoulder the rest of your life, wondering if your master is going to find you or someone's going to turn you in. You're going to have to find freedom by walking through confession first. And I think the same truth applies to us today. That true freedom, whether it's in Christ or in relationship to others, true freedom is found in walking the road through confession. The road to life means being willing to die first. Think of Psalm 32, verses 3 through 6. David writes this, When I kept silence, my bones wasted away. He's saying when I wasn't confessing. When I, when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. And then I acknowledged my sin to you, and I did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. Therefore, let everyone who is godly pray to you while you may be found. Surely, when the mighty waters rise, they will not reach him. It's a great picture, he says. Those of you who've been feeling your heat, I mean, your strength sapped as in the heat of summer of the past few days. He says, that's what it was like when I did not confess. Just felt this weight, this pressure upon me. And then I finally turned and confessed to the Lord. And he forgave my guilt and brought me into a place of freedom and lightness. And the promise in 1 John 1, 8 to 9 is this, that if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. 
This is why when you think of 12-step groups, if you've ever been in one or you're familiar with them, I mean, the path to freedom has to go through confession, right? It has to go through taking a fearless moral inventory, allowing God to search you. Who have I offended? Where do I need to ask for forgiveness? What do I need to confess and own up to and admit and be honest about? Because I'm not going to find freedom without going through that step. This is a hard message. It was hard for Onesimus, I am sure. Like, Paul, can't I just continue to serve? Doesn't God forgive? Can't I just stay with you? Paul says, no, you've offended a brother. You have, you need to go and you need to confess. And I will write this letter and send it with you, encouraging Philemon to show you grace and to grant you your freedom. But you need to go and you need to confess if you're going to experience true freedom. The road to freedom goes through confession. And if you want freedom, this is a hard truth, a hard message for some of you this morning. But there may be a need for confession. There may be a need for honesty, for coming clean, for making amends, for asking forgiveness. So that's the first thing. The the road to freedom goes through confession. Take that to heart this morning. And the second is this. The Christian is to meet confession with grace. See, here's the other, other side of the coin. That the road to freedom goes through confession and that the Christian is to meet confession with grace. So Paul exhorts Onesimus to go back to Philemon and to confess and to submit himself again to his master. And at the same time, he also exhorts Philemon to meet Onesimus' confession with grace, to go beyond what is expected, to give him freedom, to welcome him as a brother, to set him free from slavery. You see what Paul's doing here. Again, he could have just kept Onesimus with him, said, you're right, God forgives, you just stay here with me, I'll make sure you're protected. But instead, he wants true freedom. True freedom and true brotherhood. And I'm sure when I brought up a minute ago the idea of confessing, the idea of coming clean, the main thing I think probably that keeps us from doing that is that we're not sure we're going to be met with grace, right? If there's something that we feel like, I probably should confess this to a spouse, confess this to a brother or a sister, the main thing that holds us back tends to be that we're not sure we're going to be met with grace, We think we're going to be met with judgment and condemnation and rejection. And so why would we come clean if that's what we're going to be met with? That's why this part two is so important. That the Christian is to meet confession with grace. Think of Luke 17, 3 through 4. Jesus said, if your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. If he sins against you seven times in a day and seven times comes to you, and says, I repent, forgive him. Seven times in a day? This is Jesus saying that the Christian is to meet confession with grace. <clears throat> even if it's seven times in a day. Even if it's multiple times that someone confesses, the Christian is to meet confession with grace. The third thing is this, and I'm going to continue to build on these two, first two points with this. That the gospel of grace 
has transformative power. Why? Why meet confession with grace and not with punishment and condemnation and rejection? There is something transformative about grace. There is something that completely transforms hearts and communities. When you meet confessed sin with grace and not with judgment. Think about what a family is like that meets confession with grace. Think about what a community or a church would be like that meets honesty and confession with grace and not judgment and condemnation and rejection. When you read this story of Onesimus, there's, there's parallels you can hear maybe of the gospel all over the place. You think of Jesus' parable of the prodigal son. He tells the story about how there was a father who had two sons, and the younger son said, Father, you're as good as dead to me. Give me my share of the inheritance. And he goes off and he takes his inheritance, and he squanders it on wild living until finally he ends up penniless and broke, feeding pigs, wishing that he could eat the food the pigs were eating. And he comes to his senses and he says, What am I doing here? I could be a servant in my father's house. They're fed better than I am here. And he goes back home and he prepares a speech. Father, I've sinned against heaven and I've sinned against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But it says, Jesus says that the father, when he saw the son a long way in the distance, he ran out to greet him and he threw his arms around him and he said, my son who is dead is alive again. He said, kill the fattened calf, throw a party, welcome him home. And Jesus said, this is what God is like. This is what God is like when a sinner repents, confesses, comes back. That God runs out to greet, to celebrate. And Philemon here is asking Onesimus, don't welcome him back as the world does. Don't kill him. Don't punish him. Don't even take him back as a slave. Be like that, the father. Welcoming him back as a brother, celebrating that he is no longer a slave, but he is your brother with extravagant grace. Think of the parable of the unforgiving servant in Matthew 18, where there was a king and a servant who'd squandered billions of dollars and was in debt. And he said, be patient with me, I'll pay it back. And the king had mercy on him, forgave him his debt and let him go. And then that servant found a fellow servant who owed him $100. And he said, even though that other servant said, be patient with me, I'll pay it back. He said, no. And he threw that fellow servant in prison. And Jesus said, when the king finds out about that, he's going to say, I had mercy on you. I forgave you a billion dollars. How can you then turn and not forgive your brother a hundred dollars? And he told that parable to say, this is what you're like when you don't forgive your brother or your sister. You're like someone who's been forgiven billions of dollars by God, holding a grudge, refusing to forgive a hundred dollars of your brother or your sister. And here he's saying to Onesimus, Whatever he stole from you, I want you to forgive it. Not just forgive it, just credit it to my account. I will pay the penalty. I won't even ask you to pay the penalty. I'll pay the penalty so that he might go free. And ultimately, you hear echoes of the cross. That on the cross, we see Jesus dying for our sins. God, the Father, not treating us as our sins deserve, but taking the punishment we deserved and putting it on Jesus on the cross. He takes our sins. We take the forgiveness, the freedom. We become children of God. 2 Corinthians 5.21, Paul said, God made him who had no sin, that's Jesus, 
to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. In the same way, you see Paul saying, I will bear the cost so that Onesimus might go free. Philemon, I want you to bear the cost of losing one of your slaves so that he might go free. Because that is the gospel. That if you do this, Philemon, you are going to demonstrate the gospel to the watching world. That in the church, the barriers come down. The slave and the free man are brothers. That there's freedom. That we pay the debt ourselves because that's what God did for us. This is how it's meant to be in the family of God. That where there is confession and repentance, there's grace. And that the road to freedom goes through confession. That there's a false peace you can have with people where you don't come honestly. But there is a true freedom that comes from living honestly with each other where you confess and where you receive grace. And both of them are challenging. It's challenging to come honestly to confess when you're not sure how you'll be received. And it's challenging to show grace to someone who has offended you. But again, the story of Philemon points us to the cross. It points us to God's love for us, that he bears the punishment we deserve so that we might go free, so we might be loved. And he asks us to do the same. Before I close, let me just ask a question. Why do you think this letter was included in the Bible? It seems odd. Most of the letters are letters written to a group of people. They're longer. They have more to say. This is a very short letter written to a specific individual about a runaway slave. The story as it's come down through church tradition is this, that Paul's letters were collected in the beginning of the second century by the bishop of Ephesus who put them together. And they came then to become part of Scripture. And during that time, there was a man named Ignatius who was the bishop of Antioch in Syria. He was on his way to Rome to be executed around 110 AD. And on his way to Rome, the bishop of Antioch was visited by this bishop of Ephesus, the one who had collected the letters And this letter we have in its entirety, this letter that uh, Ignatius wrote to the Ephesians. He wrote this letter to the Ephesians, Ignatius, about their bishop. And in the letter, he commends the Ephesians, their bishop, a man named Onesimus, the bishop of Ephesus. And Ignatius writes, In God's name, therefore, I received your large congregation in the person of Onesimus, your bishop in this world, a man whose love is beyond words. And as you read through the letter, there's all kinds of parallels in the language between this letter of Philemon and this letter that Ignatius wrote about Onesimus, the bishop of Ephesus. And if this is true, if this is the way it really did come down, maybe, just maybe, this letter is included in the Bible because it was compiled, these letters were compiled by the bishop of Ephesus, a man named Onesimus, a a former runaway slave who deserved death, but instead found forgiveness, was welcomed back as a brother, was set free to join Paul in his missionary journeys, and eventually became the bishop of Ephesus. And certainly you might, you best believe, right, that the bishop of Ephesus might hold on to this letter and include this letter, this letter that 
was his letter of freedom, a portrait of the grace of God and the forgiveness of God's people, the testimony of what can happen when a community shows grace to those who deserve death. That is the transformative power of the gospel of grace, the gospel of Jesus Christ. What happens when people come honestly and confess and when others who hear those confessions respond with grace and love and forgiveness? What is more powerful than that? What's more powerful to the human heart than grace? What can transform a heart more than undeserved love and favor? when you deserve punishment, but instead receive love and forgiveness. When you deserve death and you find life. That is our story. If you know Jesus Christ, that is your story. That you are someone who deserve punishment, you deserve death, but instead you've been shown grace by the God who you offended. You've been given eternal life by the one who could have sent you to hell that Jesus took the punishment that you deserved. He forgave the billions of dollars that you owe, metaphorically speaking, and now he asks you to show grace to others as he has shown you grace. To go and do likewise, to create a community and families where grace transforms relationships. So why don't we take a minute in silence and meditate on this as the worship team comes forward. What is the Lord saying to you through this passage today? Where is he challenging you to confess or to come honestly? And where is he challenging you to show grace, to forgive where there's been repentance? Father, I pray for courage for those who are sitting out here today. If there has been offense between brothers and sisters, husbands and wives, parents and daughters, siblings, whatever it may be, pray for the courage to confess, to ask for forgiveness, to come honestly. And for those who receive confession and repentance, I pray for the grace and the courage to forgive, to show grace. I know this takes a lot of wisdom, and so we ask for wisdom, Lord, to be able to discern what your will is, how to best love, how to best show grace, how to best reflect you in the way that we treat each other. We pray that our communities and our families may be places that showcase the gospel of grace and how we treat each other, that you might be glorified. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.